Welcome to episode 289 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. Joining me today, we have Dan Larson. Hello there, Dan. Hello. And we have Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. We are here in the first of two free agency previews we're going to do. And on this occasion, the focus is purely going to be on the whole lot of stuff the books have going on with their own pending free agents um within the next few days we are going to have chris middleton become an unrestricted free agent brooke lopez become an unrestricted free agent malcolm brogdon become a restricted free agent nicola miritich become an unrestricted free agent george hill very likely um certainly i mean if george hill doesn't become an unrestricted free agent well then all of the plans have gone wrong um that may not happen until after some of the other things have gone down although that wouldn't really be in their interest but guarantee day for george hill july 1st um and it guarantees on july 1st rather than before it so they could actually not waive him going into free agency although i don't see the benefit um also just to fully make clear how much the books have going on power gasol unrestricted free agent tim frazier unrestricted free agent do we think John Luer could be an unrestricted free agent by the time all this goes down? Certainly a strong possibility. Or if not right at the beginning of free agency, within a couple of days, the books may have had to move um, to stretch John Luer to open up that spot. So all this runs out. I'm probably forgetting someone else too, am I? Or is that everyone? I think it's everybody uh, that I can call up on the top right. of my head. Technically, I suppose... Pat Connaughton and Sterling Brown are not guaranteed for next season. And if something really urgent had to happen, both of those guys could be waived. Although, particularly, I think it's Sterling's case, not exactly in their interest um, if they're hoping to keep around longer term on a new deal the following season. So, uh, we're not really, to Jordan's disappointment, going to focus on Pau Gasol's free agency case here. But we're going to focus mostly on, I would guess, the first three guys I mentioned. That's Chris, Brooke, and Malcolm. And we'll probably talk a little bit about George Hill. And I guess if we really have to, Nikola Miritich. Um, where do we begin? <laughs> Let's do a kind of state of play. Let's go around and briefly touch on what's been going on with the three main books free agents and what the latest kind of rumors and rumblings are. Chris Middleton, the intel is very much 
Um, this is close to a done deal, and part of the reason for that is because he's going to get a five-year max contract from the books. Um, with the way it's been reported, and as I've kind of speculated before, I think there's a real chance this could be one of the very first, if not the first deals to be reported once free agency opens. It's likely already drawn up, and all it's waiting for is the signature. Um, let's start with Chris, I guess, because he seems like the most simple case, at least in terms of where he'll be playing. Um, certainly discussion to be had in terms of, you know, what that contract means and how he falls in at that contract. But to begin with, are either of you seeing any chance that Chris isn't returning to the books on a big, big money deal and in very, very speedy fashion? No, I, I, I don't foresee a scenario where uh, he's not getting paid this summer. I think you look at the number of teams that have cap space, you look at the number of competitive teams that have cap space this summer, uh, there's going to be a market for Chris Middleton. He might not be the first guy off the board for several teams. He might even be, not even be the top eight guy for several teams on the board. But Chris Middleton's definitely going to be a very in-demand player, especially with teams having max cap space. So many teams having max cap space. Um, I think, I mean, I kind of went on a rant on this in the last podcast I was on, but I, I do think that Chris is somebody the Bucks have to keep. Um, I personally would be trying to sign him for a little bit less than the max. Uh, the Bucks can offer him more significantly more money than any other team can. But flip side of that is you don't want to risk alienating him because he is going to get max money from somebody. And maybe if the Bucks try to do what the Hawks did to Al Horford a couple of years ago, Chris Middleton might have a change of heart and say, you know what? Um, if you guys aren't, if you guys don't believe in me, cause you're not offering me a full max, I might leave and go somewhere else. So that's definitely a concern, but I think at the end of the day, there's a pretty good chance that Chris is going to be here. I'm, Say there's at least a ninety percent chance he stays here. It's really hard to def- to foresee a, a scenario where Chris Middleton's not a Milwaukee Buck next year. Um, he's probably their second best player. You could maybe make an argument for somebody that we'll touch on a little bit later, but there's not really a pathway to get better beyond him. So I think, given that, and given that Chris seems to like it here, he's good friends with Giannis. It, there's it, it's just really difficult to foresee a scenario where Chris Middleton's not a Milwaukee Buck next year. I agree with Adam. I think this deal is all but done. I don't, I mean, we've already heard rumblings way before Frazier has started. I don't think he really is exploring to move anywhere to begin with. I, I, I just think it's, it's going to be a <laughs> pretty quick, basically what his, his, uh, what it was like his first, uh, round of free agency a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, the thing with that is, and it'll become clear, I guess, when we start to talk about Brooke and Brogdon, where there are a lot of teams kind of being rumored and linked to them at the moment. That is not the case for Chris Middleton. One of the few teams that that was the case from quite a bit out, I mean, from probably a month out, was the Dallas Mavericks. And it was reported here today that the Mavericks have essentially given up and moved on because they just see no chance that Middleton doesn't resign in Milwaukee. And the fact that there's no other teams kind of emerging as a real threat to the books in that regard, that would indicate this is done. Another example of a team who were linked to and were said to be eyeing them up from quite a bit out was the Pacers. 
And then the Pacers ate into their cap space with the TJ Warren deal on draft night, which perhaps again indicated they didn't feel like there was any chance to get Milton at that point. So it seems like any of the teams who were interested or were putting themselves in a position to get him have given up. Now, saying that, um, what you said, Tan, to begin with, that he may only be, say, eight on some teams' draft boards. Pretty much, I'd say, right in that range. He could be a couple spots higher. He could be a couple spots lower for some. That is still pretty high, though. And the one thing that that does leave the possibility to is if this turns out to be one of those quick-fire free agencies where deals come in quick and fast with top free agents once it opens up, um, he could jump up very, very high on multiple teams' boards within a very short space of time. That is not something the books really want to let happen either. I mean, there's there's two things going on here. There's the idea, like you alluded to, Dan, of, you know, it would be great if he doesn't take a five-year max because, quite frankly, you know, five-year max is too much money for him. Um, he doesn't deserve a five-year max in terms of what his output is. Yet you can't alienate him. Now, the one difference between maybe the Al Horford situation, Horford was clearly Atlanta's best player, and they didn't offer him the five-year max. Middleton can't make that claim here. He can't even make close to that claim. Still, I think the only chance they get of a reduced deal is if he is open to it, and it's almost his suggestion, and there is this sense of, okay, you know, going to give a bit back so we have a bit more for the team. If I'm quite honest, I don't think he personally should do that, though, because he has been on one of one of the best value NBA deals by consensus for the past four years. Um, he signed his last deal basically just at the wrong time. And, you know, this is his chance to really cash in. And if you manage to go and deliver and have your first all-star season of your career going into the biggest free agency of your life, you know what? You probably should cash in because this is about more than, you know, who can we sign next year? This is about him being able to set up his family. And I mean, like his entire family for multiple generations. It's hard to say someone should just, you know, leave some of that aside so the books can have an easier time, I don't know, bringing back George Hill. Um, so it would be great from a book's perspective if it's not quite a full five-year max. It likely will be. I mean, the thing I think that's important to talk about here, and it's something that, aside from this, just the generally divisive discussion that goes on around Middleton, I think a lot of fans are still having a tough time wrapping their head around, is just how essential it is that you pay Middleton no matter how much he costs. Um, where when I say something like, Middleton isn't worth the five-year max, that isn't for a second me implying that he shouldn't be pay that by the books they have no other alternative if you lose chris middleton this team is coming back so so much worse next year and that's because they are going to be going way over the cap and re-signing him and brogdon it's his bird rights that allowed him to do that they can't go out and just say oh this amount of money we could pay chris middleton let's offer it to Kawhi leonard for example it's not an option it's not something they can do within the salary cap so i think at a very basic level for people who i guess don't spend their days playing around with the trade machine and reading a CBA FAQ. There's this sense of why would he be paid that much? Um, 
there's been some I've heard some interesting conversation around the books, and it, it's more focused on Brogdon. But even with Middleton, I don't know if either you heard um, the Bill Simmons podcast with Mark Stein the other day. Um, pretty good, pretty enlightening. But when it was put to Simmons, you know that Middleton's got to get a five-year max. His reaction was like, "Oh no!" And just pure, what? How can they do that? And I mean, if you're if you feel that way, it's worth going and listening to it because Stein basically explains it like I would. Well, what are their alternatives? You know, you've got to keep the best possible team you can together. You're in a position where you are a legitimate contender, and you want to be best placed to convince Giannis to sign a supermax next summer. So this is what you have to do. It doesn't mean that down the line you don't say, okay, maybe we look to trade Middleton. Can we get some more flexibility? Can we pick up a another good player or do one of the book's own players take an unexpected jump where you say, you know, we don't need to do this. All those things are in play, but to maximize your options in the future and to retain your competitiveness next year, they have to keep Chris Middleton. It's that simple and it's going to come at a cost and it's going to come at a pretty ugly price. And something that I'd like us to just touch on here, because it's probably a pretty natural spot, but I, I feel pretty strongly about like free agency comes along and we get into the, was that a good deal, bad deal game? And with all of the money going around this summer, it seems like, you know, uh, a prime opportunity for there to be a lot of that. Let's get it out of the way right now. The books are going to sign three objectively bad deals to keep Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez and Malcolm Brogdon. I think there's a really good chance that they signed three deals that other teams would be saying, uh, yeah, we don't feel comfortable paying that much to that guy. The books are doing it because they've got one player who is much more important, one player that they need to continue to show their intent to, to continue to show their commitment to winning, and that's Giannis. Are both of you feeling the same as me with that, that we're going to end up with three deals for those guys that in a vacuum, I mean, at best, are maybe passable? At best, another team would be happy to take them because it's a good player who's hasn't shown a dip in form. But like, there is to me zero chance of value coming back in these deals from the books' perspective. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and I think the when we get to each of the three contracts, um, when we we get to Brogdon later, I might have a little bit of a different thought on him. But I think with Chris. Objectively speaking, he's not going to be worth a max, like you're saying. But for what the team's trying to accomplish, he absolutely has to be brought back. Um, I think he's a lot safer on a max contract. Even if it's a five-year super max, he's a lot safer on a five-year contract than a lot of other guys uh, would be. I mean, this is a guy who's been consistently one of our best players. Uh, Obviously, Giannis has... um, taken the mantle of being the clear best player on this roster. But Chris has been a very important part of this team. Uh, He has a lot of skills that do fit with the team. Now, I think he wasn't the greatest fit for the system that Bud implemented last year, but this was the first year that he was under a new head coach and playing in a new system. Because let's face it, we didn't really play in what was really any kind of system on offense uh, for the most of the time that Chris has been on the team and we had Jason Kidd here. that takes time to adjust. So I think for me, the only reluctance I would have had for him as a max player would be how his skill set fits with the Bucks. But as you were outlining, 
the Bucks need to keep him as an asset. And I think he's a lot safer to keep on a max contract, even if it's objectively something that you look at and say, well, he's not worth more money than, I don't know, pick any number of guys. Uh, I think it's absolutely something the Bucks have to do because it's about maintaining assets for the future. And we're absolutely in a win-now situation because we were two games up on the Toronto Raptors who went on to win the NBA Finals. So um, I think all three of these deals will probably be something that you will say isn't great objectively. But, I mean, we also have to calibrate our expectations to how much the teams with cap space, how much cap space there is this summer does make a difference to that because you have so many teams that have money and are going to spend big money and even teams that need to get to the salary floor are going to have to spend a lot of money to get there. Guys are going to get paid this summer and there's going to be a lot of contracts that weren't like the ones that you look, look back at last year, like Pat Connaughton and say, Oh, well that was a great deal. There might be some value out there, which we'll talk about at another point, but um, but yeah, I agree. I don't think any of these three contracts are going to be objectively great. Yeah, I would agree. And when it comes to Milton, I just think it's, I don't know. It's so tiring at this point because it's been a debate for a very long time, or especially with, uh, when his free agency was nearing, but I mean, we could just keep saying what it means to retain pieces and then moving on from them eventually if that is the case and all that stuff i just think i don't know we've talked about it so many times that i just it's boring to talk about it, it is it is because <laughs> you and i have had the same conversation with it jordan and i don't know how many episodes which is like you've got to keep them um and there were times last year where both of us were frustrated with middleton um and you know it's understandable when a lot of fans have felt like that but there is there is not a better pad at present i mean why can't Middleton be DeMar DeRozan? And when I say that, why can't Middleton be the DeMar DeRozan in the deal two years from now? The answer is he can. He he could make two more All-Star games, be a three-time All-Star that, you know, the right situation arises where you could make a deal for someone else. Team that doesn't have a lot of leverage. And what do they want? Well, they want to stay somewhat good. They want a good player back, a player who is relatively well-known. And this was a big boost for Middleton's profile this year. And it will only continue to happen if he can continue to make all-star teams and if the books remain as good as they were. So if you don't love Middleton right now, you say, okay, well, look at how good we are with him. And then we have a significant contract that you could match up with a superstar, a player who is good enough that teams in that kind of situation might say, yeah, okay, if we get the right pieces in a deal with that guy as the centerpiece, you know, we'll settle for that. That's we, We're not in a position of strength. That's what we do. And these opportunities do come up. They will come up. And it could be a case that, you know, two years from now, Giannis is on the Supermax. And something like that appears. It could be three years from now. But I think even if you're not a big Chris Middleton fan, that's got to be how you've got to look at it. Because the alternative is, I mean, you lose Middleton and you're replacing him with a minimum guy. And it's the same conversation we're going to have really with, Brogdon too. I mean, if they if they lost Brook, they they could still have cap space. So they'd actually he's the one guy that because of sequencing um, and the space they've cleared for him, they could actually go and replace and do something different and possibly find a, make, a way to make that work. With the two guys that they hold bird rights for, if they lose them, you're talking minimum guys or a room exception signing to replace them, and a colossal drop off from what the team is overall. So Middleton's contract is not going to be great. Um, 
he may play up to it. It would be great if he plays up to it at times. More likely, he's probably never going to play quite up to it, and he'll be just a tier below it. It's not really what it's about, though. This is the kind of weirdness that comes with the CBA, the weirdness that comes with you know these years where there's a lot of money flying around and teams are searching for guys, and a situation where you're the books and you're you're paying one guy more to try and get the right to pay his teammate a whole lot more the following summer, which in itself is a truly weird thing. Like this is, I think, where without getting into just you know the purpose of the salary cap, where the salary cap forces teams into bad decisions and bad contracts, where years later everyone goes, how did that guy get that much money? This is the sort of situation how. But look, for the books, I think it's a necessary evil. They've got no choice but to do it. Um, Will we move on from Middleton, or has anyone else got any final thoughts on him? I think the other two are more interesting in terms of the range of things that could happen. Yeah, I think we can move on. Um... Where are we go? Let's let's go to Brogdon. Um, if Middleton's top priority, Brogdon is realistically second priority. Although the way the books have to make this work in terms of the order at which they sign players and the possibility that they're going to be waiting um, on an offer sheet if they can't come to terms with a deal before that, and then the time to pass before you match it, all that stuff. He may not be, he may be the last of the bunch to actually be signed to a new deal with Milwaukee. Uh, Brogdon is in demand, and the buzz around Brogdon day by day is increasing to the point where the offers are getting bigger and bigger. And there is a real sense that, you know, he could be prized away from the books. It could happen. Um, Zach Lowe has mentioned multiple times he has a very strong feeling that there's a walkaway number for Brogdon that the books at some point could just be forced to say, this is too rich for our tastes. We can't do this. The salary, uh, the tax bill is just going to be way too much for us and they may walk away. I'm a little skeptical on that and we'll get some more into that in, in a moment. I mean, first of all, and you might have to help me out if I'm forgetting any here, but teams linked with Brogdon so far... Um, the Bulls are being positioned as a team who really might go all in and might go with the richest offer of all. Um, the Lakers were linked to them a couple of days ago, which honestly is probably a little bit more concerning right now, considering they've just opened up even more space if they were to strike out on other free agents. Much like I alluded to Chris Middleton, a guy could go from being 15th on a board to climbing up rapidly if deals were to happen quickly elsewhere. And in restricted free agency, there's a tendency for it to drag out a little bit longer anyway. Um, Mavericks were said to have had interest too, but kind of like Middleton, it seems as if they have backed away because they feel like the books are going to make it happen. Um, It's nice that the Mavericks have such confidence in what the books are going to do. I will say that. Anyone else I'm missing? I mean, there's... Philly, has there been anything really concrete? There's been a lot of... There has? Mm-hmm. There is. Uh, of course there has. We talked about this like last week and I was making jokes about them. Um, yeah, the Philly rumblings have been going on for a little while too. Uh, the two other teams I've heard mentioned, um, one was the Pacers. Yeah. Uh, Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst were discussing uh, the Pacers as being one of the five most interesting teams in free agency, and that mm-hmm. they were mentioned, which is how they got into the Brogdon discussion. And 
Bill Simmons also thought that the Celtics might use their cap space for Brogdon in the event that they lost out on Kemba Walker, but that wasn't based on anything that he had sourced to the team. That was just pure speculation, but theoretically they do have the cap space as well. It's been, it's been popular speculation, the Celtics and Brogdon, and I, I guess it makes a lot of sense in a variety of ways in terms of even the types of players that they would like, the types of players that might do well under Brad Stevens, um, but I guess that's less of a concern now that it seems like Kemba to the Celtics is going to happen. So, with all of that, before we get into it, let me let me test the waters of both of you. What price do you think Malcolm Brogdon's deal is going to come in at for next season? Um, I, I would. I was a little surprised a couple weeks ago when the discussion was like 18 to $20 million a year, because I always thought that like 20 would be the minimum that he would get based on the fact that he was a 50, 40, 90 guy last year. I think it's going to be something in well, well in excess of 20 million. I could see it going all the way up to the max, depending on how free agency ultimately plays out. And I, that's definitely something that concerns me. I would say like four years, 84. I think it's going to come in lower. I think it's going to come in lower than what's being reported. And I think the ramping up of the stakes, is doing work. We should really point that out. He is, but I also think there's a lot of people in the media who are doing the work for him. Um, just in terms of Brogdon is a very logical guy that would fit in with every team. And once they get to, okay, what happens if that team strike out? They're like, okay, well, this team will have this much money to spend on Malcolm Brogdon. Um, like you, you kind of hear in any conversation. Um, there, one example gives on the Woj and Low show, and just by the minute, the guys are talking themselves into you know higher contract offers for Brogdon. To me, it's not implausible at all. I'm still seeing it coming in somewhere, somewhere around eighteen to nineteen million per year. So, four years, seventy-two, four years, seventy-six. Um, which. I mean, a month ago, there was talk of 14 million, which to me always seemed ludicrous. I mean, the Bucks would just be all too happy to ink Brogdon for 56 million for the next four years and move on. Um, mm. Talk about a contract that everyone in the league would want to trade for, that would be it. If that was his market, he would have signed that contract months ago. He would have done an extension, right. And I'm sure the Bucks tried to do that. Um, the thing with Brogdon is... I wonder just how long he might wait this out. Because if he waits, he he could get into the crazy money territory from just like any team who desperately wants something to show for their cap space this summer. And all it takes is one team, and there could be more than one team this summer that fit the bill. And with his age, and obviously having come into college, come into the NBA from college after his five years in college, right? Didn't he have a red shirt year? That's um, so much older than most prospects come in and there's a real chance that you know this is kind of it this is his big money payday he's going to be 31, 32 by the time, 31 would be right um, by the time he comes out the other side of this possibly you get one more but this is really, this is his peak contract that's the one thing that concerns me is if this becomes a wait and see game 
And the one thing I'll give Brogdon, David Falk, whoever it might be, credit for is um, he didn't play the game that all the other books free agents played in. We want to come back and we want to do this and we want to do that. And I wonder if behind the scenes, if that's extending to a level where, you know, there aren't active ongoing talks about, okay, let's try and get a deal done. Um, the books have generally had restricted free agents over the last six, seven years, probably even further, who were all too happy to just, you know, come to terms on a healthy deal and re-sign it and not have to wait for offers. There have been times where the books have very inadvisably done that. That's how Miles Plumley got his deal. That's how Tony Snell got his deal. Um, the most successful case of it was when Chris Middleton got his last deal. But I wonder just what level of engagement is even going on between the books and Brogdon on that at the moment? Or is it a case, particularly with, again, we're going to mention David Falk, but one of the more experienced and powerful agents in the NBA, if the advice is purely, no, no, you don't have to listen to any offers unless they want to come and offer you like 25 million right now. Um, we'll just sit and wait. And we can sit and wait for 10 days and we can sit away for two weeks. I mean, those situations come to a point where it gets bad for the player. But I wonder if the advice for Brogdon will be just to push that far enough and see what happens. And that just even thinking about that, it's not a fun place to be in. That would not be a fun situation if we're at like, I don't know, July 16th and Brogdon's free agency is dragging on. And it's basically a matter of, you know, oh, are the Knicks going to decide, sure, let's pay Brogdon the max. Uh, let's pay Brogdon 25 million, something like that. That's my one concern with that. I feel like it could be done sooner, though, because I, I think there will be teams who will prioritize Brogdon. And although there may be a later market that kind of appears, I think first and foremost, there will be a primary market that will be rich enough that possibly he'll say okay this is i'm not disappointed with these kind of ranges of offers very close to 20 million i think we might just get in under that but right in that range am i crazy both of you gone higher than me so am i crazy to think that i can see how it goes the other way but i do think it's a high risk strategy and i mean the one thing that we probably haven't mentioned here is obviously brogdon has had relatively significant injuries two years in a row he has a meaningful injury history predating his time in the nba too so this is a guy who uh this being his one significant chance to get paid it's also one he can't afford to mess up you know if if the money is good and you're happy with the money and you're happy with the fit he'll probably be told yeah you know what let's not let's not get too greedy here um Let's do it. He should take Yanis's father's words on board of, you know, don't get greedy, but always want more. You can get more in your next deal, Malcolm. <laughs> I think the health injury, the health history for me is a big thing. We're not on the Bucks medical staff. We're not privy to the information that the Bucks medical staff has. I think if his market goes to what you're saying, I think a lot of that's going to come from the fact that teams are just going to be reluctant to take a chance on him because of the injury history that he has. And it's really the one hesitation that I would have with the Bucks. I think let's talk about the Bucks having a walk away point. Uh, 
money wise for me it's not about the money so much as it's about is brogdon going to be healthy for the four years of that contract is there a way for the bucks to cover themselves in the event that something goes wrong and brogdon gets injured um because there's very serious concerns about that i think durability is a big part of this equation and if brogdon's going to be missing 20 30 games like he has in a, even already in his nba career uh, per season, that's that's going to be a big problem. Um, I think it's, it's it's really hard to predict. I mean, this NBA free agency, nobody really seems to know where anybody's going at this point. Uh, if Philly strikes out on Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, maybe they get involved with Brogdon. Like, there's a lot of different scenarios where Brogdon's market could cut very favorably for him, but it could also cut against him if, in, if a lot of teams are keeping their guys and the few opportunities that he has close up i just it's 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 really difficult i I think it's possible and hopefully and i think if the market ends up shaping up the way that you're saying that you think it might i think that would actually be really favorable for the bucks because i'm kind of have had a bad feeling that this is going to go the other way for them but we'll obviously have to wait and see how that plays out i think the one thing on what you just brought up there i mean that's the one incentive for the books to pay more and get a deal done early is if they are worried about his medical history that's the incentive for Brogdon to wait out and take an offer sheet from another team because if another team is desperate enough to take him, you get one of these crazy contracts where everything's guaranteed. There could be wild bonuses in there. Um, the kind of deal that, I mean, Alan Crabb was a case where this came into play, but Otto Porter too, right? When Otto Porter, who did he sign that offer sheet with for the Wizards match? The Nets. That's right. Um that, so the Nets, if the Nets had interest in Brogdon, that would be something to really be worried about here. Um, but I think that's the kind of thing that you could see. Now, if you're the Bucks and you hear, okay, his market is 20 million. We know there's a 20 million offer sheet coming from that team. Maybe that's the case where you go to him right now and you say, okay, look, we'll do four years, 100 million. But these are the terms. And there are these conditions if you happen to miss time. And that's where you negotiate an Embiid-esque deal where there is some element of insurance for the team. But if you don't have any chance of getting a deal like that, or if that's any part of your reservation, you're going to have to pay him more. The promise is going to have to be there for more, that if he is healthy, this is worth his while, not waiting it out. You're going to have to get in early. I don't know. I mean, the one thing that... I believe this was all fair. I think we talked about it after we finished recording our last episode, Jordan. Um, but in, I'm trying to remember what Zach Lowe thing it was now. I think it was the Windhorse episode of Low Post. Um, he said something that I had been saying to you, and he is the person who keeps bringing up this walkaway number and the idea that there becomes a point where it gets too much. But he did acknowledge that it's easy to say that, and it's easy to have that as a plan. And it's easy to say... Our walkway number is 23 million. And Brogdon signs an offer sheet for 23 million. And you've got Brook back. You've got Middleton back. You've basically, you've got everything in place. Everything is there to bring the core of your team back to continue being this good for years to come. And you're looking at 23 million on your desk. And it then becomes, you know what, let's do it anyway. I, I think that that's the thing with this idea of a walkway number, particularly when they're going to have to 
realistically do the other deal sooner. Like, I, I don't foresee a situation unless Brogdon is agreeing to a deal before taking offer sheets, which would surprise me. Outside of that, I don't see a situation where Brooke and Chris haven't already signed their deals before Brogdon is coming to sign. And in that, I think that's important also for what it does to the books because you're not just thinking about, okay, we're bringing Malcolm back. You're looking at it and you're saying, okay, this is it. Whatever, this is too many more per year than we would like to pay. But if we do this, everyone's back. We know what we're going to do. We know the revenue we can bring in, perhaps importantly in this, considering what it's going to add on to your bill. Um, you say, we know this is a team that can make the conference finals. They've already done it. We suspect this is a team that could go further in the years ahead. This is a team that can continue to fill out the arena night to night throughout the regular season, all of that stuff. And that is the one thing for me where I think the more the walkaway number is brought up, somewhat the less I'm worried about that particular element. Because I just think when push comes to shove, if he's the last piece, and as long as it's not completely beyond what they had imagined, I think ultimately they just say, okay, we've got to do it. Now, the one thing with restricted free agency that does scare me is just how it poisons relationships between players and teams. <laughs> and this is where I'd be a little more concerned personally about the prospect of them leaving. Um, I think my first really meaningful experience of this following the NBA came when you guys would have been, well, Jordan may have been, you know, on his time away for the books, but you guys would have been on the other side of the fence to the side I was on. And this is when Jeff Teague signed an offer sheet with the books. Mm. Um, and at that time I was locked into that one from a Hawks perspective. And if I remember it correctly at the time, Teague was like, yeah, I want to go. <laughs> I want to go. Do not match my offer sheet. I want out of here. Yeah. And the Hawks said, yeah, we don't care. We're matching the offer sheet. And that all worked out fine. And he became a key piece on the team that went on to win 60 games, get to the conference finals, all of that stuff. There are cases, though, where that happens and the team then gets cold feet. Because if that's at a high price, and let's say it's with the Sixers and Brogdon signs a deal worth $25 million because one of Butler or Harris or potentially both have walked away, and Brogdon signs the offer sheet and he says, I want out of here. I want to go to the Sixers. Don't match my deal. If that's more than the price you're paying, that's the spot where it comes in. The books are like, you want out of here? Well, we don't want to pay you that much. See you later. <laughs> and that's where you're left with nothing. You know, <laughs> that's where they can't make up for that. That's where the value he gives you as a ball handler, a shooter, a defender, all of these things, just a general all-around play he gives you, you have no way of replacing, and the Bucks take a major tumble next year. Like, in an ideal world, if you guys were to rank the three free agents in terms of importance to what the Bucks are doing, importance to Giannis, and what you'd like back, let's take... Let's even take numbers out of this. Let's forget the the elements where they have to sign Chris because of this. I'll be honest, for me, Brogdon would be number one. Because I think just the all-around mix of what he does at this point is so important to the books. And he keeps kind of showing an extra gear. <laughs> this is the other thing, too. He has got better every year where he's the kind of guy when he came into the NBA, it was like, oh, yeah, he'll be good, but, you know... 
no upside. Well, he keeps getting better every year with the exception of injuries disrupting that a little bit where, I mean, he could well be an all-star next year. There's no way that you'd put that past being in play for Brogdon. And I just think all rounds, his personality, everything. For me, he would be my top priority. And yet he is in many ways the most difficult one. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think the injury for me is really the only concern. I think him and Chris are 1A and 1B. Um, you could definitely make an argument like you just said that Brogdon's even more important, especially because of his ability to hit threes consistently. He can get to the basket uh, a little bit more consistently than Chris can. Um, he's a better stylistic fit and he's gotten better in each season. It's, I think for me, it's really just the health concerns, but I think him and Chris are clearly a level above where Brooke is. Um, but I think when it comes to those two, it actually is kind of splitting hairs. It's just people have been focused so much on Chris because his max contract's worth so much more than what Brogdon's is ultimately worth because he's Brogdon's only be worth or has the first max available to him. So he's a little bit earlier in the process. Yeah. I mean, I would agree that it's all kind of splitting hairs because everybody kind of fills their own void. And I know a lot of the big discussion that was, I thought ridiculous about Brogdon and just, Oh, like, you know, you can get the same kind of value with Sterling in the starting lineup and Sterling's a fine player and stuff like that. But once you kind of actually show it, then I'll start like believing that they can get, a young or like a different player that can do what Brogdon does because they're just, we saw this year that there isn't. And this, what's the, what looms over the whole Brogdon situation is the fact that Eric Bledsoe's, you know, last two playoffs, uh, postseasons, he's, you know, retreated into, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's, that's a point actually worth worth stalling on for a second because we forget like that a couple of months ago we were expecting to also be talking about Eric Bledsoe in an episode like this as a free agent and obviously they came to terms on extension a good deal let's yep. let's put that out there again um certainly now when we're talking about the potential price that is there for Brogdon I mean things would have got really messy if they didn't get that deal done and at that price but even when we talk about bringing guys back and potential trades down the line I mean the ultimate path for this team may include involve trading Bledsoe and making Brogdon the point guard. Particularly based on some of the stuff that Bledsoe has shown the playoffs. I think the other thing related to the point you brought up there, Jordan, is what we did see is you can put Sterling in ahead of Brogdon and win a lot of games in the regular season (laughs) Uh, because the rest of your guys are good enough and you're going to play bad teams on certain nights. We saw what happened once the books got past the Pistons in the playoffs, though, and that was that Sterling just couldn't do it. He wasn't ready. He fell out of the rotation pretty much. And then we saw Brogdon come back and be absolutely phenomenal and probably the book's second best player. And that's the difference is, okay, not what can you do just generally as a team with one guy over the other guy. It's what can that guy do individually when you put him up against the best players in the NBA. And Brogdon can do a whole lot more than Sterling Brown or any other replacement level player. And, you know, Sterling might end up a little bit better than replacement level, but there is a major difference there. Yeah, I think just the thing about the whole Brogdon, I don't want to call it debate because it's not really a debate, (laughs) but just the the idea of like, okay, we know financially the Bucs cannot improve their like you know 
shooting guard position or two, combo uh, guard, whatever you want to call it, on their depth chart if Brogdon leaves. So from a playing aspect point, like everybody says, like okay, Brogdon benefits from what Giannis does, from what Chris does, to, from what Eric Bledsoe does during the regular season. <laughs> Got to add that caveat. But he benefits from all this stuff, yet he out of anybody else is like shine most in terms of just efficiency, in terms of just, you know, on a nightly basis, like it's kind of he'll have stinker games here or there, but like more often than not, Malcolm Brogdon is like a fixture of consistency all throughout his time with the Bucks. Like it's like a chicken or egg, chicken or the egg situation. Like you could say like all these things, like oh yeah, he he benefits from being like you know not a focal point, just like a secondary or tertiary cog within the Bucks system, but he plays that so freaking well. Like you know what I mean? Like it's just like. All the concerns about his health are very well noted, and you know they are concerns about like what he looks like at the end of his next or or this coming deal and stuff like that. But I just think it all pales in comparison to what he has done and will likely continue to do, barring something catastrophic, catastrophic happening. Not that would. Like, one thing that I, I just want to touch on really quick too. I mean. Sterling was was good in the playoffs, but I think a lot of assuming that he can replace Brogdon, you're you're projecting out to the future that he and uh, I mean Dante, we haven't really mentioned him because he was hurt most of last season, but you, you're putting a you're expecting you're projecting that these guys are going to get better, and that's not really an assumption the Bucks can operate on either. I mean, I hope both of those guys become key contributors to the team, and they very well could be next year, but. Um, to expect him to get to Brogdon's level, Brogdon is significantly better than what Sterling is. And even though I thought Sterling showed some really good flashes at the end of the season, that's a really difficult thing to fix because as I think the big, big elephant in the room with this is, is the Bucks aren't going to have the cap space to really replace Malcolm Brogdon if the, they end up deciding not to match his offer sheet. And they, they will basically never have the cap space. <laughs> uh, probably right, especially if, when Giannis is on the Supermax. Right, which if all goes to plan, that's next summer. And you're not looking at cap space ever again. They don't have draft picks. And not having Brogdon is one less trade asset too. I mean, what smart teams do, and you bring up Sterling, you bring up Dante. I think what smart teams do is you say, okay, this is more than we'd like to pay for Brogdon. We believe in those two young guys. Let's pay him anyway. Let's develop those two, and if they develop, then we can get out of Brogdon and trade him in a year, in two years. But you don't put the cart before the horse and say, okay, we believe Dante, who's played 20 NBA games until now, is the next Malcolm Brogdon. Let's trade Brogdon, and let's expect to get to the finals next year with Dante in his place. Like, you just can't do that. And I think part of that, if you like the guys you're drafting, and I really hope they like the guys they're drafting and they have faith that they can reach maybe not quite that level, but something that's not a million miles off of it, well then, okay, great, you've got faith. That means down the road you can get out of this. Down the road you can lose uh, some of the money you're carrying. This is a point that I think has been made in a lot of places too. Like The books don't need to say, oh no, we can't go the extra, say, $2 million to match a Brogdon offer because next year, if Giannis signs Supermax, our tax bill is going to look like this. You've just got to take care of now first, and you can get off other deals if you need to down the line. But if you don't take care of now, there may not be a future to worry about because Giannis might decide not to sign the Supermax. And exactly. it's 
pretty much that simple. We're talking about a 15, 5 and 5-ish guy who shoots 50, 40, 90. Um, if he commands a big payday, again, you're just going to have to do it. Um, it's easy for us to say the tax dollars aren't coming out of our pockets, but neither is all the, the merchandise money, the new arena money, um, all the bars and venues, all the nice things around the Deer District. Deer District. All that money isn't going into our pockets either. So, you know, this is welcome to professional sports. You've now got a good team, a competent team, and different kinds of tough decisions begin. Uh, this is one of them. Let's move on to the third player of the trio. Um, really the guy who should have been the most concerning and complicated case up until the Tony Snell trade. And that is Brooke Lopez I'm talking about. Brooke Lopez is something of an exception among the Bucks free agents this summer as they do not have his bird rights by nature of the deal they signed with him last summer, the great bargain deal. And that means they can't go over the cap to re-sign him, so they had to open up cap space to be able to ensure they had enough money to come to terms in the kind of deal that he realistically was going to go for. Um, Chris Maddox, Sports Illustrated, reported that both sides are motivated to get a deal done. Again, would indicate this could happen pretty quickly. And look, the books can can get anywhere up to kind of 14-ish million pretty easily. And if they needed to go further, they could by waving John Luer. Don't think that will happen. I think Luer will probably still get stretched to reduce the tax bill. Um, to me, I'm now increasingly confident that Brooke will be back. And that's in spite of the fact that the Lakers are supposed to be interested again. In spite of the fact that the Rockets are supposed to be interested. There's a lot of teams that, Sure, they'd love to have him. He would be a great fit in a lot of ways. But this is a guy who really is down their priority list. And I think for the most part, it should just open up for the books come to terms on a deal that is fair for both sides pretty early. Like, I think he'll probably get paid a little bit more than you'd like. I think he will be the second highest paid center by the time free agency's done. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think I think Vucevic is the only guy I can think who's going to get more. I think DeAndre Jordan will get less. I think Demarcus Cousins will get less. And get more. The, um, that's true. Sorry. So okay, it'll yeah. be terrible. Somebody reported that he's getting four one nineteen from, but they're not sure from the mystery team, team. From mystery team, that is, I mean, it's now my favorite thing of this free agency is everyone trying to figure out the Al Horford mystery team. Um, I think I think he's probably okay behind Horford and Vucevic. I don't see a center getting a bigger deal than Brooke this summer. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's kind of fair. And from the books part, I think you do that, and that's a solid because you got him so cheap last summer. And you say, look, we value you. You are really important. Here's maybe a little bit more, but it's showing we want you. I mean, the interesting thing with Brooke is, what are the years going to be on a deal? That's my biggest concern. At his age, I would prefer to be signing him on a two-year deal, but it's not a stretch to imagine somebody's going to go three or four. That that's one of those guys where, you know, Brogdon and Middleton age-wise are at the perfect age. I mean, ideally, if they stay healthy and given what they provide to the team, you're not going to worry about them. But Brooks on the opposite side of thirty, he's going to de- he's going to decline. Um, 
I mean, granted, his ability to hit threes and his defense is pretty good. He might be able to keep those skills uh, over the course of a three-year contract, but I sure wouldn't feel good about doing that. I disagree. Yeah, I'm actually concerned for the opposite reason. I'd be concerned about the possibility of them giving him a two-year deal when they're not going to have cap space and they're not going to have draft picks to find a replacement between now and then. Where, you know, you could come to two years and then you're, like, there is no way around that you're completely in a really difficult place. I mean, I think the things you noticed, you noted there, and I'll let Jordan come in because Jordan, Jordan had about as strong a reaction as Jordan can have, which was, you know, <laughs> lukewarm at best. Uh, <laughs> but I think the fact that Brooke is a center who he has thrived in a scheme which involved him dropping back, literally, you know, not being a mobile center, not having to do a whole lot, that shouldn't be lost with age. Like, I mean, one of his biggest strengths defensively is size. He's not going to lose that. Um, and on the other side, the fact that his game has transformed into something that is based on shooting. There's actually plenty of reason to believe he may continue to improve as a shooter over the next couple of years, considering how recently he added that to his game and how shooters often tend to age. I mean, it's, it's not something unusual for a guy at 37, 38 years old to be knocking down a high percentage of trees. Brooke is only just turned 31, which I mean, is not young. And it's certainly, it's in the range where I don't particularly like the idea of giving guys significant deals. I think this is a case though, where there might be an element of planning ahead. You've got to do and, Maybe some slightly optimistic planning ahead. If you do a shortage deal with Brooke again, you've already seen what happened from one shortage deal, but you're not going to necessarily have the the Tony Snell to wave, or sorry, the Tony Snell to trade and the John Lewis to stretch a year from now if it was a one-year deal, or two years from now if it was a two-year deal, to re-up and... You know, okay, there's one part of this battle which is getting Giannis to sign a Supermax and having him locked in. And let's not forget, for example, players get just agitated and look to move, look to force trades if things aren't going well otherwise. Like, I think from a book's perspective and as fans and as podcasters and bloggers as we are, so much of the conversation around Giannis is, you know, this idea of, okay, they've got got to do the right thing so he signs next year. It doesn't stop there. You know, you've also got to keep a team that keeps him happy after that because while, you know, there aren't many players who have taken to Supermax that would be tradable, are there any? John Wall and Russell Westbrook are not really tradable. No. Giannis would be one. If he was to sign it, he would be a player that teams would trade for. And I think with that in mind, you're you, if you're if you're betting on yourself to keep him there, and to be good enough that he resigns next year, you've also got to keep an eye towards the future. Yeah, I, I, I don't think age concerns. Obviously, he's had his the early foot injuries when he was with uh, Brooklyn, but he already he already plays a very specialist like role both on both ends of the floor. Obviously. His minutes workload has gone down significantly since leaving Brooklyn. Am I correct? I mean, he averaged like 23 minutes with the Lakers last year. When imagine it wasn't that much more with the Bucks last year. 
He actually played more with the Bucks this year than he played in his last year with the Nets. Oh. He, he played 2,300 minutes with the Bucks this year. Now, part of that I think is interesting because I think in our next episode when we talk about options the Bucks may look to at the end of the roster, I think one crucial one, and I'm assuming they signed Brooke again, is to find a real backup for him um, because he didn't have one for most of this year. He certainly didn't after Ton and Henson were traded and they bring Pau in and Pau gets injured after two games. And sure, you can go small ball, but I think it probably did lead to a tendency for Brooke to be on the floor about as much as anyone. And he played 81 games in every playoff game this year. The only game he missed was a rest. Um, I believe it was the last game of the season, too, against the Thunder. So he was he was mm-hmm. going for a perfect season at that point. Like, the Bucks will have to do more on buying him some rest. But again, I think that points to right now the paths to finding backups aren't even easy. Like I think the book center situation is so much tied up in getting Brooke Lopez and having him for whatever, for the next couple of years and hoping it continues to work out as it has, because again, beyond this summer, where are your opportunities to do things? They're very much few and far between. And to, I, I don't know. I just think it's another kind of similar to Brogdon that, you could say like, oh, these things are really replaceable, but like, I just hitting threes at the clip that he does on a insanely high volume, and more importantly, he's a hell of a defender. That really, we saw it this year. The defense, obviously, Giannis and playing his you know kind of free safety help side role really helps him in that regard. But there was a distinct difference between when it was like Brooke Lopez playing John Henson when he was with the Bucks early on, especially Thon early on too. It's just, it lit everything. Giannis is, you know, the reason why everything is so functional and works so well, but everything lifts based on that. And having a guy like Brooke Lopez, who's super intelligent, has great size, knows, plays his role incredibly well. Like you just don't find that everywhere. Uh, and especially in this free agent class where like there are some guys that can maybe give you that uh, on their best day, but consistently well, that's mm, to be decided. So I just, I think that's it. That's what's so weird about the, the whole free agency conversations that you, everybody, we go from six months, six to seven months, even eight months, depending on how long your season goes, talk about like what goes on the court and all this stuff. And then we have to switch to like value and all this stuff and you kind of like lose sight of what you are doing to begin with like it's just kind of like the weird like whiplash that always kind of i don't know eats at me eventually would it be fair to say jordan that the level of disdain that i have for summer league you hold for free agency yes <laughs> and trades and trades yeah Jordan Tresky doesn't like fun, everyone. Instead, he likes I'm not, I'm not really, really awful man. basketball. He likes his favorite <laughs> basketball is the bad basketball. He hates the theater I was, I was of the NBA. Fan. Yeah. He hates the theater. That's the NBA offseason, from the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah, which has become the favorite thing for a lot of people. Now, I'm not quite there. I do enjoy, you know, watching a good basketball team win games. I, I don't ever lose sight of that's what it's actually about there are definitely some people um who are nba fans who just with the way it's gone in recent years i think probably do but 
yeah i mean that's the thing i think the overarching lesson or the overarching takeaway that any books fans should take into this is um when you're talking about what a player should or shouldn't be paid or you know the books should let this guy go because they can just do this how about remember all those bad years you've watched the books have and then remember what happened with this team this year what they were able to do and what honestly at the end of it we could all realistically say was still left in the tank and what was still there for them to improve on and you know I mean, when we talk about there's a path to, say, trading Middleton down the line, upgrading in some way, whatever that might be, but bring a lot of these guys back. There's a path to this group just winning the championship next year. You know, becoming the second books team ever to win a championship, all being immortalized as legends. And I, I think, honestly, then, and we're kind of seeing an element of this at Raptors fans right now, whatever happens would happen. You know, I think everyone would be fine. You want to win a lot more than that, and with Giannis, and if Giannis signs a Supermax, you're in position to do a whole lot more of that. But just to win one, I don't think there's any illusions with Bucks fans right now of just how difficult it is to win a championship, let alone to get there and really be in the mix. That has been rare enough. That doing that this year is a big deal. This team could do it. These guys could do it. Absolutely. And I mean, when you consider that Kawhi, there's a very good chance Kawhi leaves the Eastern Conference. The Bucks be right now the Bucks are the odds on favorite to win the Celtics Eastern Conference. are eating themselves. The Celtics have totally things have totally worked out the opposite of how they envisioned that happening. Um Philadelphia might double down on their starting lineup and we'll see how that there's plays chance, out for them. There's a good chance that Philly could lose one of those guys too, particularly with all of the the Butler rumblings, whether it's the Rockets' really significant oh, desire to offer yeah. a trade, but more than that, the Clippers and the talk that Kawhi would really like the idea of teaming up with Butler. I mean, and yeah. even the Lakers now opening a max slot. I think. Yeah, I, does that even I'd be nervous if I was they Sixers no and Butler? Yeah, and they have no depth. But I mean, the conversations we're having with the Bucks about what happens if the Bucks lose a guy and replacement level guys. I mean, at least the Sixers would have a ton of money to go and get some some players. But, I mean, the Nets are really the team here who could emerge as big winners. But even if that's the case, say the Nets land Kyrie and they land KD, well, KD is going to be out next year. Like, right. there's a real chance that the path for the books is dramatically clearer than it was even this year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, with, uh, just getting back to Brooke for a moment, we don't really, I think a lot of people don't really appreciate Brooke is the rare three and D center. There are not many guys in the league that can play the level of defense that he had last year. His defensive stats were basically on par with Rudy Gobert. In fact, I tweeted during the NBA award ceremony that I thought it was absurd that Gobert won the defensive player of the year exactly because he, there were him and uh, Brooke and Embiid were both better um, by some metrics than Rudy Gobert was this year. There was another I mean, guy who was better than all three, too. Who was that? Giannis. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought you were talking about centers for a second. Oh, no, well, that's that's a conversation that Jordan and I had on the post-awards thing where you're like, okay, we're giving this award to a center who just protects the rim now as opposed to, you know, guys who have to defend five positions and can do all equally well, that sort of thing. But that's a debate for another day. I think the thing on the point you're bringing up, though, um, a player that I really like, but it, 
just mention of his name on Twitter now has started to, you know, make my blood boil is Dwayne Deadman. Uh, yeah. Because he's a really good player who I really like. And yet there's a whole army of books fans who seem to think, oh, just get Dwayne Deadman. Dwayne Deadman, all of this works out. You know, he'll he'll do what Brooke will do. Or the rarest thing of all with Brooke, it's not just the fact that he's a great defender and he shoots the trees. It's the fact that he shoots trees at the ridiculous volume he does. You you cannot he he broke records for a seven footer shooting trees this year, and he'll likely do the same next year. He break his own records. You can't find guys of that size who are that skilled when it comes to shooting from distance, and more importantly, who even when they're told just let it fly will actually do so. We saw the Bucks employ this strategy to their advantage multiple times this year, where good shooters like Al Horford, like Miles Turner, um, less good shooters like Joel Embiid too, but all guys who could make some trees. And the Bucks would just be like, yeah, yeah, go on, shoot them. Because they're confident that eventually that guy's going to go, no, I'm a center. I can't take, I can't take 10 trees. Brooke went 0 for 12 from tree in one game this year. Like, not ideal, but that's the guy you want if you're talking about having a center that shoots trees and could do so at a good clip. You want the guy who is, you know, confident enough and will back himself to do that. I mean, my God, there's a lot of books role players. Uh, one who was just recently part of the team that if you could get that kind of confidence, that kind of willingness to let fly from tree, they'd be transformed as players. So to me, that's the thing with Brooke, where you can't just be like, oh, look, this guy is a center who shoots trees in defense. He's not Brook Lopez. And none of that even, like, we talk about Brook as the guy he became, the 3 and D center. And yet we saw times as the regular season went on and in the playoffs where the Bucks threw the ball to Brook Lopez and Brook Lopez went inside and was, you know, the Brook Lopez who had earned an all-star before he ever shot a tree. Um, and that's a whole other aspect of his game. That What it, game was it in the final? I don't you remember where Brook... I know he had two great games in the final game one, one and six, one and six, where yeah, six he kept them in it. Six, it looked like Brooke was going to win game six for them and bring it to game seven. Like find the center. And we're <laughs> we don't even Dwayne Dedman cannot do that. That's the simplest no, way I can put absolutely. it. And I really like Dwayne Dedman. He is not that guy. There are very few centers who are that guy. We're not I'm even not, talking about his... I'm not sure Nikola Vucevic can be Brook Lopez, and he's going to get signed for a lot more money. Not a good defender. No, but I also don't think his offensive game is necessarily as well-rounded no. as he would get credit for. I mean, Brook, so much of his game now gets overlooked. Like, his shooting got overlooked even when he was a good mid-range shooter, but he was a post-specialist. Now people have just forgot about the fact that he was one of the best post-centers in the NBA. And We're not even talking about his... We're not even talking about his function on like rebounding the ball because that was such a huge, especially the previous year where the Bucks struggled to, I mean, even corral defensive rebounds. I mean, watching Thon Maker try to grab a rebound was painful. And then they become the second greatest, or second greatest, second <laughs> productive defensive rebounding team by advanced numbers this year. And that is. <laughs> Just because you have a guy that with Brooke Lopez's size and having Giannis clean it up. Like, it's just, he does every little thing, like, fundamentally sound. And I think that's, what, like, the whole our overarching thing is that, like, Bucks fans historically have looked at, like, these big paydays or big summers and have seen them, like, you know, gone completely wrong. 
we're talking about three solid to fundamentally sound players that yes, they're not perfect. They're not max level guys under, you know, the most perfect uh, context and all the arrangements this summer in terms of financial stuff, but it's hard to replace each and every, like what each player does and brings to the table for them. And, well, I think they hit on something that's really important. The, the key distinction between what we are talking about with Brooke Lopez, with Chris Middleton, with Malcolm Brogdon, we're talking about re-signing three guys who were excellent players on this team last season. This isn't talking about re-signing Tony Snell. This isn't about going out and getting a guy that was like the ninth best player on a championship winning team in 2016 in Della Vadova. This isn't about going out and getting someone like Mirza Toledovic, who's a nice role player. We're talking about the Bucks using their cap space on three players who we've seen take the Bucks within two games of the finals. I, I think that's really the key distinction. I, I mean, I'm just as scared as other, as I'm sure a lot of fans on Bucks Twitter are about what's going to happen if things go wrong. But you kind of have to put that aside. This is our window that went go for a championship right now, and these three guys are absolutely capable of getting us a championship. So I think. We've got to remember this this cap space. Yeah, things might go wrong. Things can always go wrong. We've had pretty bad luck up until this point, in my opinion. I mean, for God's sake, the second overall pick that we had in 2014 isn't on the team anymore and tore his ACL twice when he was on the team. Like, sometimes things just – you and can't – about to hit free agency again. <laughs> right. Oh, let's bring Jabari back. Let's get no, that is not what I was saying. That's the, <laughs> I don't want anyone mixing that up. Um, there's one player just when you were going through – Bucks players, and this is not this player, this is not that player, that I think we should point out. Um, the high end of what Brooke Lopez's deal is this summer is going to be 2 to $3 million per year less than what the Bucks gave Greg Monroe with the cap at a lower number. Mm-hmm. And Greg Monroe's contract wasn't actually bad. When, like When it didn't work out, it wasn't like, this contract's awful, let's get out of this. And let's compare what the books get out of Brook as opposed to what they got out of Moose. And also just, you know, where the team is at, what that player does for the team, all of that stuff. And I think the simple thing with that is, for example, if Brook gets 14 million, I think there'll be plenty of people going, oh, that's a bit much. I think if this was a summer where the books only had one free agent and it was Brook Lopez and they signed him for $14 million, everyone would be very happy. It gets into this kind of, you know, penny-pinching game where you're looking, oh, but we've got to pay Brogdon this, got to pay Middleton this. Guess what? None of us have to pay any of them. I mean, it's not my money. Um, the books have to go all in here. The worst-case scenario is they go all in, these contracts end up bad, these players get injured or they don't perform, they never win a championship. If you don't pay these guys, what's likely to happen? <laughs> well, you're not going to be able to adequately replace them. Giannis is going to get disappointed. He's going to leave. And guess what? You're not going to win a championship. So which of these has a more realistic path to success? And the answer is bringing the band back together. It's absolutely, it's really the only one. What was that, Jordan? Including Powell. Okay. I mean, (laughs) it's not going to be a deal breaker with me. I wouldn't be going on my way to do it, but if that's what will make you happy, you know, I'm willing to accept it. Um, very briefly before we wrap up, um, I wasn't going to 
add Powell to this conversation. Um, he's if he if the Bucks want Powell back, Powell wants to come back. He said it. Uh, that's a minimum deal. That's fine. That'll get sorted. Whatever. Um, maybe it would be nice just so that we don't look back on you know Hall of Fame or Powell Gasol's two game tenure with the Bucks, where three you know, three. Give it three. <laughs> Was it three? Can you yeah. remember his plus minus? Minus eighteen. Right. And um, there have been some pretty interesting short spell spells with the books for legends at the end of their career. Uh, Moses Malone, Adrian Dantley. Why am I blanking? Gary Payton. Um, yeah, except for Gary Payton, we traded for this particular one though would be one of the most grim. Except, yeah, taking out the fact that, you know, what you gave up to get Gary Payton. Um, just the idea of... What the... Oh, Pau Gasol was a book. I'm imagining future generations stumbling across this. Oh, how did he do? And seeing... Yikes. Anyway, Jordan successfully got me to spend about a minute talking about Pau Gasol there that I didn't plan on doing. Um, Nico... We're all waving goodbye, right? We're all on the same page of that. We don't need to dive too deep into this, but the books need to renounce Nico, get their Lopez deal done, forget about him, right? I think so. I, I can't foresee a scenario where Nico would take um, reasonable enough money that it would be worthwhile for the Bucks. Like, I mean, what would he have to take? Like three or four million dollars a year, and even then, that kind at, of bumps up. Add ten, and that's what he's probably going to get. Like he's probably going to end up with a very similar contract to Brook, mm-hmm. possibly yeah, more than Brook. Which, it's like, a, in a vacuum, uh, I, I, I think he probably could end up making more money than Brook Lopez. That would be fascinating to see. I wonder who makes that mistake. I think there could be a lot of teams. Okay, so goodbye, Nico, George Hill. I think. On the upside of the coin, we'd all quite like to see George Hill back, but it's just what they can do with that. The part of this depends as well on Brooke. If Brooke decides to take, like, I'm saying 14 million, Brooke could decide to take 10 million, and the books could have a path to opening up 9 million in cap space where you could give George Hill five and have four for someone else, and then have the room exception beyond that. That would be ideal. I mean, that's uh, the dream scenario because you're going to get Brooke. Hopefully, Brogdon Middleton plus three more useful players before you have to deal with minimum contracts. Mm-hmm. I think it really depends on how much more money Brooke wants to make because we know his market's going to, he's going to get paid. Um, but he's also made a lot of money up until this point in his career. So maybe uh, if the championship is the most important thing, he will be willing to take a bit of a discount that helps us land another guy because I think, as we'll touch in the next podcast, there's probably some guys out there the Bucks could add that could actually have a pretty good impact. There's also, I mean, Brooke is coming to a point in his career. Will he value years more than base salary amount? Yeah, could he's you, been very durable and recent. Could you get him for, say, three years 30 or three years 33 as opposed to like two, two years 28 or two years 29? You know, maybe. Um, and he, he has been he has been pretty durable, but does have an injury history too. I mean, he's had foot problems. Um, he's aged very well considering that. And he seems, as much as anyone can, to have put them behind them. But 
yeah, I guess that's what that one hinges on. I mean, I admire everything George Hill said about, you know, money won't be a factor and it's about fit and where his family will be happy. And I think a lot of that was easy to read between the lines and see him saying, you know, I'm very near the latter stages of my career. I'm in the latter stages of my career. Uh, this is a really good team. I like being here. Let's do this. Yet there could be like a nine million offer from someone for George Hill, where at that point you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to take the minimum and stay here. I, I like coming from though. He already went through a Sacramento and that ended what in the worst way possible. Sure, but I mean, he got the money out of it. Not the Cleveland <laughs> play for the championship. Yeah, but I mean, look, he got the money out of it. I mean, that's yeah. When it when it comes to that amount, I'm saying if you're talking about a seven million difference between signing with the Bucks at the minimum and being like, I could win a championship, I really like this place, and going somewhere else where you're like, this is a terrible team, I'm not going to have fun, but my family and I are going to have an extra seven million dollars at the end of it. I mean, it's kind of hard to just be like. Oh yeah, stay here. You know, you could look at a situation like that and be, I could sign that deal and possibly be traded to a better situation or bought out and play with a good team by the end of the year. Yeah, there's kind of best of both worlds. I think that's where it gets tricky. And I mean, it's this is your fault, Jordan. You wrote about teams who could be after George Hill, and you did a sufficient enough job to convince me that you know maybe some teams could do some things. Um, you had the Pacers. The Celtics, who was the third team? Dallas and... Dallas. Dallas is one that is, to me, would make a lot of sense, particularly if they don't get Beverly, but the kind of money that he may end up being at. The other thing is, like, as everyone knows, the Suns need a point guard. I'm not sure anyone will want to go to the Suns. I think the Suns will likely end up paying quite a lot for a veteran on a short deal. And they could do worse than that veteran being George Hill in terms of personality and everything if they were going to go that route. But, I mean, that's kind of the interesting interesting thing. That's the wild card. Also, say a team like the Knicks. If they're going to load up on one-year deals and they want to be good this year, but they want to maintain flexibility if they don't land anyone, there could be a nice payday for George Hill there. Like a really nice payday that he's no chance of getting anywhere else. I really hope he's back. Really, really hope he's back because I think he'd be very tough to replace, but I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. That's one where you'd probably want to get it done soon. <laughs> if you got everything else wrapped up quickly and you're like, he wants to come back, great, let's do it. Um, outside of Brooke leaving enough on the table or... I mean, you just even have to. If Brooke takes $14 million, you can just decide, okay, let's... Let's stretch and wave John Lure now, and we've got five million we can offer you, George Hill, right now. And maybe that's still not the best offer he gets, but it will be closer to the offers he gets, and that might be enough to bridge the gap and make the difference. Who knows? Okay. That basically does it for our look at the book's own. Oh, Just Frazier go back. I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance um he may have to wait till august or so um he may have to wait till just before preseason time but there's a chance jordan just to you know 
keep you happy with another one of your type of free agents, as people will find out when we look at the players Jordan Tresky wants to target in free agency. Um, I guess let's wrap it up. Predictions. Did the books get all three guys back? I'll say yes. Yes. And Hill. And Hill. Wow. Yep. I'll say yes, but probably not Hill. But hey, I'd take I'd take Tree back and not Hill. I'd definitely take Tree plus Hill back. Um let's not do Tree plus Nico or something like that. Let's just <laughs> I'm I'm out of the Nikola Miritich business. I'm very sorry. We'll talk about some of the players the books could target though later in free agency um, in our next episode. You will be able to hear that on Saturday. To make sure you don't miss it, you can subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, as it's your favorite, and tune in radio and follow us on Spotify. You can also check out mine, Jordan, and Dan's writing at BehindTheBookPass.com. We've got a ton of free agency stuff up there. Um, all the guys we've talked about, we've got every rumor surrounding them, the teams that could be a threat to the books, um, plus any other books-related free agency talk there is to cover. Um, go check it all out. Until next time, thanks as always to you for listening. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.